right. Isn't it great to see what uh, people are doing as part of this Christian series that we've been talking about for eight weeks? It is that Christians tend to buy into this set of assumptions, a belief system. And what we've been saying is that uh, maybe a better term, disciple, followers of Jesus, followers of the way, what they would do is uh, they would put it into action. And that's a big difference, and you see that there. Uh, if you're new here, my name's Doug. Thrilled to be with you. I'm going to put a cap on this Christian series. And to do this, I want to begin by asking you to raise your hand if you love a good story. If you love a good story, raise your hand. Yeah, I don't have one for you. I just actually wanted to prove the point that, uh, that everyone loves a good story. When my kids were little, they would always ask me when I put them to bed, Dad, make up a story. Tell us a story. And then I, I would, and then they would always try to validate it and say, well, Dad, why did you become a pastor if you were the world's greatest athlete? Uh, you know, that type of thing. And then I had a lost story I couldn't think of anymore, so I would read them Bible stories. And I remember when my firstborn, I didn't really think this one through, I read her David and Goliath uh, before she went to bed. And if you know the story, it ends with uh, David cutting off Goliath's head and claiming victory for the Lord. <laughs> Good night, sweetheart. You know, right there. And she's 24 and still sleeps with the light on. But uh, what are, let me ask you, what are some of like to the all-time great stories that either you were read or you're now reading to your kids? Talk to me. What are they? Narnia. Narnia, yeah. And the C.S. Lewis, great stories. What else? The Hobbit, all right. This is going over great, okay? <laughs> well, tell me some afterwards, all right? Because I'll be out there making a list, and I will have them for the next service. Uh, but great stories connect with us, like Narnia and The Hobbit. You know, they connect to deep, deep places within our soul. Let me, let me go a little more current here. Uh, this week, Tuesday night, Kathy and I sat down to watch... Uh, extreme makeover weight loss edition awesome show okay awesome what they do is they follow people we, Kathy and I watched it last year and we got hooked on it they follow people throughout an entire year and you watch the transformation the metamorphosis of their physical life but there's something else that happens emotionally and even spiritually to them as well now we don't watch this because of the action we watch this because of the story. And this last week, there were twins, combined weight over 800 pounds. And what happened to this 22-year-old brother and sister as they had people come alongside them and actually help them for a year and then to see their transformation was unbelievable. Who saw it? Just out of curiosity. Who saw it? Okay. Who, if you saw it, did you cry? Okay. Did you cry? You didn't cry. If you, if you didn't cry, I have actually been writing a book for people who didn't cry. Here it is. Here's the book that I'm working on. Chicken Poop for the Soul. So these are stories to harden the heart and dampen the spirit. So that's for, for you if you didn't cry. Um, my personal story, my personal story won't put any of you in tears. Um, but it's my story. When I was in ninth grade, somebody invited me to church and said, Doug, they're going to be cute girls and a comedian. Both were very attractive to me. And I went to this church to see the cute girls and the comedian, and the cute girls were there, validated 
the comedian was very, very funny, and I found myself laughing in church, sitting in something called a pew, looking at stained glass and a big cross, but laughing. And at the end, the comedian said, how many of you love to laugh? I was right there, hand raised. And he said, here's the problem with laughter. It's going to fade as soon as you walk out the door, but let me share with you something that won't fade. And he began to describe joy. And that joy was connected to the person of Jesus. And I didn't fully understand everything in ninth grade, but I went home that night. And I knelt by my waterbed. Yeah. It was the 70s. You're laughing, but you know everybody had a waterbed. I knelt by my waterbed, and as much as I understood, I said yes to Jesus. And that day transformed the rest of my life. That's my story. It's actually a very simple story, but here's something I've discovered that I never knew, never imagined when I was in ninth grade. It's this, that as a follower of Jesus, my story matters. My little story is part of God's bigger story, and my little story has the ability to connect with others who are in need of a different storyline. Every day, you and I are surrounded by people who are hoping for a different script to be written within their life. And what I want to do today is I want to try to open your eyes to the fact that your story matters. That someone in your world needs to hear your story very badly. We've just spent eight weeks talking about what it means to be a Christian. And we've we've taken the term Christian, we've said it's kind of powerless and neutered. It means too many things. It's divisive. Maybe better terms would be follower of Jesus, follower of the way, even the word disciple. And as a disciple, I'm asking you today to do something very courageous with your life. I want to challenge you to share your encounter with, with Jesus. Now, before you panic and throw up on yourself, I want to let you know that I'm going to hold your hand through a process. And I really think at the end of this process, you might say, I, I can actually do that. Now, let's be honest. You can always say no to this. And you know what? Sadly, most people do. It's really ironic to me and is that the longer people have walked with Jesus, the less likely they are to talk of him. That's an interesting thing to me. And so what do we do with all this material that we've we've learned over the last eight weeks? What do we do with all this this stuff that we've been learning and writing down and going, Jeff, that's so good, that's really good, it's challenging. Okay, great. But what do we do with it? People are waiting to hear your story. They're waiting to hear what what God's done in your life. They're waiting for their soul to be fed. For some, they're waiting for their life to be changed. And I know, I know that some of us in here, we're sitting on our story. So look at your notes, pull it out. Let me just walk you through some, some thoughts. First, I just, you know, everything starts with a story. So we have to recognize the power of story. Recognize the power of story. Jesus was the greatest storyteller ever, okay? Best teacher ever. 
he understood the power of teaching because God in the flesh knew that if you're going to change lives, stories are a primary medium. Take a look at Matthew chapter 13. It says, Jesus always used stories and illustrations like these when speaking to the crowds. In fact, he never, never spoke without using such parables. Jesus understood that stories were like a bridge, and they would bridge the physical world to the spiritual world. And he would use ordinary people, fishermen, tax collectors, farmers, guys who worked at KFC, uh, you know, kosher fried chicken, and, and the normal people that these stories help people understand God's ways. Jesus understood the power of story because he ordered the universe as one big narrative that has a beginning, that has a middle, that has an end. And our very own lives, our individual stories, are part of that grand narrative. That means your story has a place in God's story. And humans are wired for stories. Script writers, TV writers, movie writers will tell you that if you want to sell a story in Hollywood, you write on redemption. Because redemptive stories come alive within our soul. We love stories about forgiveness and resurrection and do-overs and start-overs and new births and fresh starts. It's like, it's like we have these six guitar strings running through our soul. And when they, one of those are plucked with those themes, it's like God comes alive within us and, and we find meaning and voice. Here's the big point is that people are wired to respond to stories that they need. That's why many of us, we flock to stories of forgiveness or redemption. It would be interesting. What is the kind of story that triggers you? What's the kind of story that grabs your heart? Chances are that's something that you need. I'm always much more emotional when I see families come together, especially sibling type stuff. I think that's why this, this weight loss thing hit me so deeply this week is because some of the pain in my own childhood of some sibling rivalry and not connectedness. And when I see siblings come together, I am much more emotional. Uh, I, my heart needs that. I'm also drawn to Monty Python stories. And I haven't figured out what that means about my heart yet. I'm still, that one's coming up in therapy. But um, I, I just do love Monty Python. Any Monty Python people here? There's usually, oh, there's a few. There's not usually very many, you know. What's the penguin doing on the telly? Stand it, or I can see that, but how to get it? Anyway, sorry. It's the only, it's the only voice I do is Monty Python. Um, I, I, I actually thought it would be fun to preach a whole message in Monty Python, but I will do that to just my own family. Uh, so recognize the power of a story. Second is this. We need to articulate our life change story. Now, to articulate means to define it, to craft it, to think it through, to write it out, to go from general impressions to specific feelings and ideas. Here's what I'm asking you to do. To write out your story. See, when I'm laying in bed at night and I'm kind of stressed out about all the things that I have to do, the only thing that kind of calms me down is when I pull out a pad of paper and then write down all the things that I need to do. Once it moves from this scattered place 
to written down, I feel a lot more calm. For many of you in here, your story is out there. It's just, it's just kind of floating around you. And what I'm asking you to do is to articulate it. Articulate your life change story. And so we're in the same terminology. When I talk about a life change story, I'm talking about your encounter with Jesus. Okay? What is that story when your heart first encountered Jesus? Now I realize with this many people, some of you are here, and you, that, that chapter of your life hasn't been written yet. And you're like, dude, I'm just checking this thing out. I haven't encountered. I haven't transformed. I'm, I haven't changed. I'm just, I'm just investigating. Thrilled that you're here. Honestly, I'm thrilled that you're here. I would say that God's probably at work more in your life than you think he is. Okay? But thrilled that you're here. I'd actually say there is a story being written, but the word to describe it is you're part of a journey. And you're on this journey. Here's what I would say. Don't get trapped in religion. Don't investigate Christianity. Just... Just look into Jesus. Just follow Jesus and see what happens. The first followers of Jesus weren't Christians. The first followers of Jesus didn't believe that Jesus was God in the flesh. The first followers of Jesus just followed. They didn't have it all together. They were, they were kind of goofy. And it didn't seem to bother Jesus. Actually, he's the one who invited them. So thrilled that you're on a journey. For those of us that we have had a life change story with Jesus, I'm asking you to craft it. Because when you craft it, here's what happens. You have a tool, a beautiful tool that people are waiting to hear. And the reason I know they're beautiful, I've been here a year, I have heard so many of your stories. See, I stand at the back. And actually, Jeff does that too. Jeff is much more risky about this than I am. I don't know if those of you on this side of the room know this or not, but after Jeff does the closing benediction, he races through this door off to the side, which goes up this flight of steps. You kind of have to jump over something, go out another door, run down steps, and he gets out there very quickly, okay, because he knows he can't beat the crowd. I followed him once, and I pulled a hamstring, okay, doing that. And then I'm limping. People are like, what happened? Preaching injury. You know, so, but here's why we're back at the door, okay? One reason is to kind of break this us versus them barrier a little bit. Second reason is to see which of you leave early, okay? No, just kidding. I know, realize some of you would rather die than talk to anybody. But uh, really, the, the real reason is we want to hear the stories, and they're incredible stories. And they're beautiful stories. And every time I hear this story, I think of all these people who I know who could benefit from that story. The richness, the depth, the, the pain, the highs and the lows, the multiple life lessons. Friends, those are amazing stories and, and they need to be told. So what kind of encounter have you had with Jesus? And again, for some of you that have walked with him for a long time. I know you're in your mind, you're blowing this off. And maybe you're the ones I'm talking to the most. Okay. What has been your encounter with Jesus? Now in your notes, I just gave some examples. I'm just going to fly through these. If you don't know these, read them on your own. But there are a variety of encounters. One is a spiritual encounter in John chapter 4. I just read a couple chapters in John this week and was blown away how many just encounters there were with Jesus. One I call a spiritual encounter, the woman at the well where Jesus says, go get your husband. She says, I am not married. You're right, you're not married. You've had, you know, your four husbands. The one you're living with is not your husband. Her, what? Hello, you know me. She goes back to her village and it says, uh, come and see the man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? The town comes out and they come 
to Jesus. Then there's the in-your-face encounter in John chapter 5. The guy approaches, uh, Jesus approaches a guy who's been sick for 38 years and says, do you want to get well? The guy makes excuses and Jesus says, get up, pick up your mat and walk. But it was this in-your-face, do you want to get well? Third is the forgiveness encounter. I talked about this on Mother's Day a little bit. John chapter 8, the woman caught in adultery, where Jesus says, those of you without sin, you throw the first stone. And the Bible says they dropped their stones and left. Actually, a guy came to the door. I'm not making this up. said, hey, who do you think picked up those stones? I, it does, I, I don't, I, he was a little wacky. I, I think he was actually from Mariner's Irvine. Uh, but... <laughs> The one I want to, uh, that I love in John chapter 9, there's this blind guy. And I love this. My favorite story in the Bible because Jesus changes this guy's life in the most unusual way. He spits on the ground and makes a mud pie. So the guy's blind and Jesus is going to heal him. All of a sudden, he, you know, he does one of those, spits on the ground, makes a mud pie, and then puts it on his eyes. Now, I've read the Bible since I was 14. I've been reading a lot of different ways and versions and translations, and I always try to look at it from different angles, and I think, what if I was one of Jesus' disciples and I saw that? I think I would have been like, (coughs) I think I'd have laughed, you know. Oh, what's the mud doing on? You know, whatever. Uh, And then Jesus says, go wash, which is a nice thing to say once you've loogied on someone. And the guy, he goes and wash, and he can see. I just, I, it's a great story. And I think maybe that's where they get the phrase, oh, Jesus, from. I don't know, but it could have been from that, that story, all right? Now, here's my point. All of these stories in the Bible are recorded to show us the power of Jesus. But notice they, they all have a starting point, which reveals a person's pain which then points to the power of Jesus. And when it points to the power of Jesus, it also reveals the heart of God. How do we know? Because Colossians 1.15 says Jesus is the visible expression of the invisible God. So when you look at these stories, here's what you see, friends. You see the starting point, their pain. You see the power of Jesus. You see the heart of God. So what's your encounter? What was your pain What was your starting point? How did Jesus come alive to you? In your notes, I just put real simply, what was my life like before Jesus? What's my life been like since Jesus? Now, as you're thinking about this, also realize for many of us, we are a work in progress. It's not always as clean as before Jesus and after Jesus. That Jesus has made us new But the word sanctification means he's continuing to make us new. So it might not be one Jesus made me new story. For many of us, it's several stories, and he's still writing these stories. But here's what I'm asking you to do, is to memorialize a story, to to write it down. What is it that's captured your heart? Because your story matters. And you have an audience for your story. Now, I know exactly what many of you are thinking. Doug, if you knew me, I don't really have a story. I mean, my story is, it's boring. It's not dramatic. It's not a, you know, it's just not a sexy story. I know. Same with me. Vanilla. Orange County boy meets Jesus as a teenager. 
I mean, there are times where I think it'd been cool to, you know, done drugs or, you know, to be shot in a gang fight or if I had a pit bull tattoo on my neck and I hate my mom on the, you know, my shoulder tattoo. And, you know, some, that, 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 man, then I'd really have a story. You know, my story would never make the five o'clock news, but please listen to this. I've learned that a life change story doesn't have to be intense for it to have impact. It doesn't have to have been intense for it to have impact. Now, I may not have the resume of some people's past, but I don't need to have a painful past to recognize that I was totally empty without Jesus. I didn't need to murder someone to know what a heart of darkness feels like. I didn't have to live my life as an atheist to know what it is to doubt God. I didn't have to be kidnapped to know what it's like to experience loneliness and and fear. I didn't have to spend time in jail to know what it's like to be imprisoned to sin. Are you tracking with me? See, I know sin. I know know the face of, of evil. I've done enough in my life to experience guilt and shame and remorse. I know what those those taste like. I'm not proud of it. And guilt is easily triggered. You see, I have a story. You have a story. Quit sitting on your story. Define it. There's power in it. Now define it. Articulate it. And then the third thing I put in your notes is once you articulate it, I want to challenge you to listen carefully for your story opportunities. Listen carefully for your story opportunities. Now, yesterday in your notes, I had the word share to share your story, and I took that out. And I took it out because I think the word share triggers some people in here, especially those of us that have grown up in the church. As soon as you hear share your story, you think, okay, share your faith. I have to convert people. I've got to be a, a, a witness. And you have, you've made share Jesus synonymous with being obnoxious. That if I share Jesus, I've got to memorize the four happy hops to heaven and then go to Walmart and accost strangers as they walk out and try to convert them. Okay. Here's what will help you from being obnoxious. Keyword, listen. Okay? Listen. Christians are usually not known for being listeners. You ask people, what do you think of Christians? Oh, they're always preaching, they're always barking, they're always shouting, they're always talking. How great would it be for us to be known as authentic listeners? Not trying to shove Jesus, but to to share him naturally as we listen to people. Some of you are weird, and you will... You, you need to be reminded of this. It's not shoving Jesus. You know, I could just see people walking in there go, okay, okay, I've got to shove, share Jesus. And, you know, you sneeze and somebody says, God bless you. And you say, no, God bless you. <laughs> Son of Adam, daughter of Eve. You know, you just get weird. Some of you are weird. And you're trying to look for opportunities. And, and, and you know, somebody says, uh, what, are you, what are you doing after lunch today? What are you doing after you die? Okay, where are you going to go? That's called going too deep, too fast, too weird, all right? Just listen to people. In our fast-paced culture, you know what's so attractive? Is when somebody pays attention. 
You know, if you just become curious about people, that's a beautiful thing. Because when you're curious of people, you know what you do? You ask them questions. You get them talking. You genuinely care for them. I mean, basically, I'm saying, have some people skills, <laughs> okay? I realize that's a rough one. Uh, but, you know, just, just care for people. Listen to them. Be curious. And watch what happens when you do. One, you hear their story. Two, you have your story that may find some intersection with their story. And then three, you shed a little light on God's story. So if I really listen and listen carefully to people, there may be an opportunity. Keyword may. I'm not trying to close deals. I'm not trying to convert people. I'm just trying to move the conversation of Jesus. And you know where it begins? It begins with empathy, that you care about that person. I am so sorry to hear of your pain. I've, I've experienced pain in the past as well. I'm so sorry you're going through that. Or, wow, thank you for taking the time to share that with me. That was powerful. I'm not looking to kick open doors. Okay? I, I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm looking to sincerely care for people by listening. By the way, this is a strong biblical principle. Take a look at this in Colossians chapter 4. It says, Be wise in the way you act toward outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. Now, if you have your Bible, and you, it, I actually didn't put them all in your notes, and we'll, we'll put it up on the screen in a second. Verse, verse 4 is the one that tends to trigger people, or they see it, and they go, oh, yeah, okay, we need, we need this is good. Be, be wise in how you act toward outsiders. But I want to take you to verse 3 as, as we kind of look at this as our primary text. And if you don't have your Bible, look this up when you get home. It says, and, uh, Colossians 4, verse 3. And pray for us, too, that God... Read the rest with me. What? Whoa. Who may open the door? That God may open the door for our message, so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ for which I am in chains. Pray that I may proclaim it clearly as I should. Then we go to be wise in the way you act toward outsiders, make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation always be full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. Here's what I think we miss in this text. We, people always highlight so that you have an answer for everyone. We're always looking for the right answer. And I think sometimes we forget the other parts about our conversation be filled with grace. And that God may open the door. I hope you get this. Because what I'm not talking about here is I'm not talking about kicking doors open. And I used to be that guy. Let me just confess to you. I used to be that guy. I kind of went through Bible college and seminary thinking I'm, I'm the guy that, you know, that's what I'm trained to do. I need to kick open doors and I need to convert people and close deals. That's what Christians do. And the more I lean into Jesus and follow him, the more I realize that <laughs> he doesn't really need me. And that conversations of Jesus have become 
much more enriching than conversion. See, I'm trying, to, I'm trying to advance the conversation of Jesus. So I don't talk about Christianity anymore. I talk about Jesus. Because as soon as you talk about Christianity, all of a sudden you become divisive because people have all these feelings about Christianity. And when you talk about Christianity, you have to defend Christianity. But when I talk about Jesus, I don't have to defend him. Take a, take a look for yourself. And my role as a follower of Jesus is to plant seeds, not, not close deals. Right? Planting seeds is much more biblical. As a matter of fact, take a look at what Paul said in 1 Corinthians. My job was to plant the seeds in your hearts, and Apollos watered it. But it was God, not we, who made it grow. What I'm saying to this community is this. Your story can plant a seed. Your Jesus story can plant a seed. Then what happens with that seed, it's God's responsibility to make it grow. And God is big enough to allow other people who are followers of Jesus to plant a seed. Another follower of Jesus to add a little water, to add a little sunshine of kindness. Then all of a sudden God orchestrates all these people's stories and their life, not as Christians, but as disciples and followers of Jesus to make that grow. See, I just try to point people to Jesus and let him do all the heavy lifting. I don't have to convince anybody of anything. That's Jesus' job, and he can do quite well with it. I put in your notes Acts chapter 3 and 4. There's too much in there to take a look at it, but I want to encourage you to read it this week. And I want to encourage you to read it because what it does is it kind of illustrates my point of ordinary people like us Sharing our story, being available, not kicking open doors. I'll give you the flyby view of Acts 3 and 4. In Acts 3 and 4, Peter and John, two followers of Jesus, they're walking to the temple to pray. They pass this beggar. This beggar is right by the temple door all the time. They pass the beggar. The beggar says, heal me. And Peter and John say, or, or the, I'm sorry, he says, do you have money? And Peter says, silver or gold, I do not have, but what I do have, I give you in the name of Jesus, walk. Then the guy is healed. He gets up, he walks, he's so excited to be healed, he starts jumping up and down, he goes into the temple, he's bouncing around, people are like, hey, isn't that the guy that was lame? Then they come to Peter and John and say, what happened? Tell us the story. And what do they do? They just respond and point back to Jesus. The Bible says 5,000 people came to Jesus. The next day, they're arrested for talking about Jesus. Now they're in front of this this, uh, ruling body and saying, you can't talk about Jesus, but how was that guy healed? (laughs) Guess what they did? They talked about Jesus. It's amazing things that happen. We're going to take a look at a couple couple of these verses, but what I want you to see, they didn't kick open doors. They didn't go to convert people. All they did was God opened up the doors and they pursued the opportunities. Okay? This is not how to convert people. This is the power of your story meets opportunity. So I'm not asking you to make a list of five potential converts in your life and write their names down. Actually, silkscreen them onto a t-shirt okay? and wear that t-shirt and you, know, you look 
Tommy, you're number four. I'm coming after you. You know, that's, that's not what I'm asking you to do. You don't have to beat the pavement and drum up business for God. If you do what we've been talking about for the last eight weeks, and you walk with Jesus in your life, and you ask Jesus for divine opportunities to be used, he's going to put them right there. Okay? He's going to put them right there. So you listen to their story. You share your story. You shed a little light on God's story. Now, some of you are like, okay, Doug, I can do this. I can do this. I can do this. Then you're going to go home, and you're going to begin to write your story, and then you, all of a sudden, fear is going to kick in. You say, wait, no, I'd rather die than do this. What was I thinking? He had me when I was at church, but now that I'm alone, no, no, I can't. I can't. Okay, I want to help you share your story before you die. So here's what number four is this. You need to define your fears. Okay, define your fears. When we talk about sharing of Jesus, talk to me right now. Let's make this better than the books that I asked you about earlier. What are your fears? Okay, what comes to mind? Fear. Come on, right now. Rejection. What else? Embarrassment. Pressure. Vulnerability. Got to be real. What else? Judging, failure, ignorance. I won't know all the answers. Let me tell you this. I've asked that question for about 20 years to groups of people. Everybody says the same thing. Okay? Nobody's ever said, ah, explosive diarrhea. You know, they just don't do it. All right? They're always the same answers. All right? So the number one fear is this, the fear of rejection. And I understand this. I fear rejection as well. But let's go back to Peter and John. And it was obvious that they were not concerned about human approval. Watch this in, in Acts 4.18. Then they called them in again and commanded them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John replied, which is right in God's eye? To listen to you or to him? You be the judges. As for us, we cannot help speaking about what we have seen and heard. Friends, there is a tipping point in one's spiritual maturity. And the tipping point is this. When human approval becomes less important than being faithful to Jesus. Some of you wonder, am I growing spiritually? Am I really becoming a disciple? Well, is human approval more important than being faithful to Jesus? I live with this tension all the time. See, when I teach, I know there is a percentage of you who don't like me. I know there's a percentage of you that what I'm saying, I'm pushing you too much from your little worldview that you've got. And this is what you believe about God and Jesus in this box. And, and I'm, I'm pushing some of you outside of that. And you are rejecting me and my, my message. And over the years as a teacher, here's what I've had to realize. You're not my primary audience. I love you. I want to help you be more like Jesus, the journey that I'm on. But you're not my primary audience. That I've got to be faithful to Jesus. So I can either live in fear of your opinion, or I can live with the confidence that Jesus is in me. Okay? So for all of us in here, I understand this fear of, of rejection. Um, and getting over it is way easier said than done. But if you don't define it, you can't defeat it. So at least we've got to say it. We've got to define it. The second is the fear of ignorance. Most people say, well, I don't know. I don't know very much about the Bible. 
I mean, what if they ask me a question? What if somebody says, you know, what's the uh, eschatological nature of human suffering as it connects to a sovereign deity that appears like pantheism rooted in free will utopia? Right? If somebody asks you that, you say, no hablo ingles. All right, that's what you say. Okay. First of all, people will not question your story. Nobody's going to question your story. You may not like the fact that cute girls and a comedian reach me for Jesus. You may not like that, but that's my story. You, you don't know what the emptiness I felt before and how that night I went, boy, if Jesus is real, that's what I want. Nobody's ever argued with that story. It's my story. Again, let's look at Acts chapter 4. Verse 16, it says, What should we do with these men? Referring to Peter and John, they asked each other. We can't deny they've done a miraculous sign and everybody in Jerusalem knows about it. Okay? You can't deny the story. The story of a changed life is right there. They maybe didn't want them talking about Jesus, but the dude's jumping up and down trying to be in the NBA and they're going, hey, we all walk past him every day. That was the guy that was lame. Look at this. And secondly, about this whole fear of ignorance, you don't have to have all the right answers. Okay, people don't expect you to have all the right answers. Do what the blind guy did in John chapter 9 when he was questioned over and over about who is Jesus? Who do you think he is? Is he the son of God? You know, here's what the blind guy says, verse 25, John 9, 25. Whether he's a sinner or not, I don't know. One thing I do know, I was blind, but now I see. I don't, it's a great question you're asking. I don't know how many angels can dance on a penny. I don't know, okay? My guess is that the questions you're asking have been asked before, and there's people smarter than me that can answer it. I don't know, but here's what I do know. My life used to be really empty, and now it's different because of Jesus. I really don't know that deep doctrine, theological question, but here's what I do know. My, I used to be blind, in this area of my life, but now I see. I used to be blind to how to love my wife and my kids. And then I started following Jesus, and all of a sudden I see different about how to love them. I wish I knew all the answers. I don't, but here's what I do know is my, my story. See, people are hurting, and they need to hear your story of healing. Actually, people are hurting, and they need to hear your story of hurting. They need to know they're not the only ones in, in pain. People in pain need to know they're not alone. People in pain need to know that God is not going to waste that hurt in their life and is going to use it. People who are lonely need to see that you were once lonely and then you found community in this thing called Rooted or a small group. And actually you now have genuine friendships. You're talking about things that matter. People are in your life. People who don't live with the dependence on Jesus need to look at people who do live with the dependence on Jesus and go, there's something richer about your, your life. People who are caught in a lifestyle of sin and darkness need to see other people who were there just a few weeks, months, years ago that have now found the light. See, sharing your story reveals the power of God. Well, lastly, so I just want to challenge you to, to be with Jesus and love people. Actually, that summarizes the last eight weeks that we've been talking about. Just be with people, be with Jesus, and love people. 
you don't have to be perfect. Okay? You, you, the Bible says that Peter and John were ordinary, but I want you to see the qualifier to them being ordinary. This is so great. Verse 13. When they saw the courage of Peter and John, they realized they were unschooled, ordinary men, and they were astonished, and they took note that these men, say it with me, had been with Jesus. I love this. They were ordinary. They weren't perfect. They were in process. What they lacked in formal education, they made up in schooling with Jesus. Because everybody can relate to ordinary. I would love for this to be said about me. Oh, Doug Fields? Yeah, he was an ordinary dude. But you know what? He, he loved people. And he, he cared enough about them to share Jesus. And it was obvious he had been with Jesus. As a pastor here at Mariner's Church, I would love for this to be said about this community. You know what? It's weird. They were just this ordinary group of people, but you could tell they had been with Jesus. And what would it look like if a couple thousand people this weekend began to walk out into the community, into the marketplace, into their families, into their networks of relationships, and they didn't talk about Jesus, they talked of Jesus. They say, well, Doug, what's the difference? Because we talk about things we don't really know that much about, that we're not close to. We talk about sports, about politics, about celebrities. You talk of people that you know. How great would it be if we became people who could talk of Jesus rather than about him? Some of you are sitting on your story and you need to not sit on it any longer. And I understand why you're sitting on it because it's safe. I've been in the professional church business for 30 years. I know that it's safe. I go, you know, I can do my talking from stage. I don't have to do it in the neighborhoods. I don't have to do it in the marketplace. I know it's safe. I've fallen into that trap. And then I realized, you know what? People aren't afraid of Jesus. They're afraid of Christians. People aren't afraid of Jesus. They're afraid of Christianity and all the divisiveness and terms that come to their mind. Okay? You have a story of Jesus changing you. And somebody is waiting for you to transfer that story to them and give them a little hope. And let's, let's be honest. Your story isn't going to change anybody. But it's your story that points to the one who changed you that's going to change people. Okay? I want you to close your eyes with me. And I want you to think of Someone who needs to hear your story. And put a, put a name in your heart right now. Who's someone who needs to hear your story? Then who is someone who, who actually might come alive if you listen more deeply to them? And I want you to think about that person as well. Jesus, it's, it's clear that many of us have been silent with our stories. It's also clear that people in our world are dying for hope and help and healing. And as we leave here today, we want to leave with the wisdom to listen, the courage to share, the knowledge that all we do is point people to you and you're the one that changes lives. 
Now, for those of you here, I just I want to call you to respond. We're going to respond now through singing. For some of you, you just need to stand and sing and that be your worship. For some of you, you need to maybe sit quietly and invite Jesus to be in areas of your story that need to change. For some of you, you may need to come up here and be prayed for. I'll just move you to respond. Jesus, thank you for letting us play a small part in your grand story. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.